14 days. 14 days it's been since I last stood right here. I only missed one Sunday, and it feels like I've been gone for a long, long time because this is where I want to be. This is where I like to be and need to be. It's so good to be back. Thank you to Rock Collins for filling in last week. As I mentioned Wednesday, I I am chatting with Rock, trying to build up his enthusiasm just a little bit. (laughs) He did a great job. And just so you'll know that, one, I was listening, and two, it was valuable. Church, we got to be praying for those who don't know Jesus. And we need to know that those who don't know Jesus, we need to love them right where they are. And then we need to show them and lead them to Jesus. That's our call, and that is a great message. And so I am thankful that God said, let me put a different voice in there for one week, and he challenged me as well. And so, uh, but I am glad to be back. ask you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. It's going to be on page 1301 if you're using that pew Bible right there in front of you. Romans chapter 8, we will get there here in just a moment. As I preach what I believe is the New Year's message, you know, I missed January the 2nd, so I'm going to extend the New Year celebration to at least one more sermon anyway as we challenge ourselves as we head into a new year. Now, as you're turning to Romans chapter 8, let me recount to you a historical story about John Chrysostom, he lived from 347 to 407 A.D., was the patriarch of Constantinople, and he earned the nickname Golden Mouth because of his eloquent sermons against the lavish excesses of his day. This earned him no favor with the Roman authorities, and when he was brought before the Roman emperor, he was threatened with banishment if he remained a Christian. Chrysostom's reply to the emperor reflects the insight of one who understands that true freedom in life comes with freedom in the spirit and the security of the love of God. So let me recount, as history has captured this interaction between Chrysostom and the emperor of Rome at the time. Chrysostom said, Thou canst not banish me, for this world is my father's house. And the emperor said, But I will slay thee. Christus said, nay, thou canst not, for my life is hid with Christ in God. The emperor said, well, I will take away thy treasures. Christus said, nay, but thou canst not, for my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. The emperor said, well, I will drive thee away from man and thou shalt have no friend left. Christus said, nay, thou canst not, for I have a friend in heaven from whom thou canst not separate me. I defy thee, for there is nothing that thou canst do to hurt me. John Chrysostom understood what Paul wanted believers in Rome to understand, that once we are liberated from the condemnation of sin and death, we are truly free. Nothing, church, nothing else matters. Indwelled by the Spirit, we enter into a life and peace that only can be experienced by those who have come to know that freedom through Christ. At the close of one year and at the beginning of the next, let us allow God's Word to remind us of the new life that we have been given. Let's stand and read together from Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 31 through 39. Romans 
chapter 8. It says, what, sh what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all? How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen to God's word. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. Romans chapter 8 is considered one of the greatest chapters in all of God's word. And one of the reasons that it is considered to be so great, so vital, so important, is it because it provides the Christian with great hope of their secure relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This passage that we've read will show us five things that we can be encouraged about because of our security in Jesus. So let's start in verse 31. It says, what then shall we say to these things and to this I have to stop, and I hopefully have encouraged you when you're reading God's Word, when you read something that refers to something before, therefore, or these things, we must stop and recognize what that is. So it says, what shall we say to these things? Well, let me just give you just a brief summary of these things. If you were to go back and pick up reading in same chapter, Romans 8, verses 26 through 30, we would see these things. Verse 26 tells us that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, intercedes for us. The Spirit of God is interceding. Verse 28 says that all things work together for good. Now, church, it does not say that all things are good. God has promised that everything that occurs to those that are called by Him, those that are seeking His coming and living for Him, that all things will be made good. He's promised that, church, that all things will work for good. Verse 29 says that we are going to be conformed to the image of his son, that when we come to know Jesus, we begin a transformational process in our lives where we become every day less and less us and more and more like Christ. It's these things. Verse 30 says that who he's called, he justified, and who he justified, he's glorified. Now, the thing about it is we need to understand those are all terms of things that have happened. That when Jesus died on the cross and you accepted him, you were justified. That's a done deal, made right with God. But it also says that you're glorified. Notice, it doesn't say you will be glorified. You are glorified already in Jesus. You are glorified and that will commence and complete itself when we stand before the Lord in heaven. And Paul says, because of all of these things that even one by themselves is enough to 
blow our mind and challenge us in how good God is. Paul says, what shall we say to these things? And that's the premise of where we step into today's scripture. So let me start with five things. I'll start with the first one. Christ is for us. Look at verse 31. It said, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now think about this. Verse 32 says that God the Father is for you because he proved it by giving his son in verse 32. God the Son is for you. Verse 34 says that it is Christ who died and rose for you and intercedes for you at the right hand of the Father. Do you know that right now, every moment, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you, saying, he's mine. I paid for that. He's mine. Always. Church, there's never a moment that Jesus is not interceding for the Father on your behalf. God the Father is for you. He sent his Son. God the Son is for you. He died for you and intercedes on your right hand. And verse 26, had we gone back, says that God the Spirit is for you, that this Spirit helps us in our weakness and makes intercession before us, before God. God is making all things work for you. And we know all these things work together, verse 28, for those who love God those who are called according to his purpose. Church, can I tell you that today God is for you. God is for you. As a believer, you need to enter every single day, waking up, being reminded that God is for you. You see, it's easy to wake up with every other attitude. It's easy to wake up with the pressures of the day. It's easy to wake up with the illnesses of the day or the challenges of the day or the fears of the day or the anxiety and the depressions of the day. You see, life brings all kinds of things. But Scripture teaches us that God is for you today. Nothing should be more important to you than that. When you woke up this morning, God is for you. God is for you right now. The Spirit does not stop interceding on your behalf. The Son of God does not stop interceding on your behalf. God is for you today. And there will never be a time when God is not for you. There's no need for us to fear. No need for doubt. No need for complaint. God desires only the best for you. Think about this. If we believe that God is for us, then that means that everything that happens in our life is good for us. I didn't say it was good, but it's good for us. You see, I believe in a sovereign God. And church, let me just tell you, we'll talk about me because it's a whole lot easier to talk about me than it is to talk about you. You don't like it when I talk about you. But do you know that I believe in a sovereign God, that there is nothing, nothing, church, that enters into my life that has not first passed through the hands of God? Now, whether God wanted me to choose to give it or whether he allowed it to happen in my life, whatever I go through, whatever I'm impacted by, it's from God. And when you wake up every day 
and you realize that God is for you, it'll change the way that day looks. Every other thing will bow down because God is for you today. Now, I don't know what you're facing. I know some because you share with me. And you know some because I share with you. But can I tell you that God is for you today? Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your good, plans for a future and a hope. God says, I know the plans. Even in times of challenge and in times of trial, God's plans are best for you. Amen? Church, I pray that you can do that. You see, I cling to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 where it says, I need to pray always. I need to be thankful in all things for this is the will of Christ Jesus for me. Whatever it is, God is for you today. That's pretty encouraging, don't you think? Number two, verse 32 tells us not only is Christ is for us, Christ died for us. Look at verse 32. God did not spare his own son. The point of this verse, let me just go ahead and get there for you, is if when we were sinners, lost in our sin, God gave us his best, his son. Now that we're his children, will he not give us everything we need? Think about that. If God caught us at our worst and gave us his best, will he not continue to take care of us every single day? Christ died for you. Jesus attempted to make this same point when he challenged the people in Matthew chapter 6 to not be fearful, to not be worried. He said, God cares for the birds and the flowers. Surely he will care for you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 32 says, Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. You know God knows what I need. He knows what you need. He will give you his best because Christ died for you. First, to save you from your sins, but also to remind you that because of this gift, it is reasonable to depend upon God for every other need in your life, for God has already met your greatest need. Doesn't that just make reasonable sense? If I have already given Angela the best thing I have, why would I withhold any other thing? And that's what God's telling us. He said, Christ died for you, and it's not just that Christ died for you, and that is an awesome spiritual truth that we all need. That's why we must pray for the lost. That's why we must accept them where they are and then lead them to Jesus because they don't know this. But if you know Jesus, you know that Christ died for you. And because of that, God has given you his best. So Christ is for us. Christ died for us. This scripture also says in verse 33 that God has justified us. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies this means that God has declared us righteous in Christ. Righteous. God will certainly not accuse us because he's the one who has justified us. Do you know this world is an accusing world? We accuse ourselves. You look at that person in the mirror and you have a really hard time dealing with him sometimes because we accuse 
ourselves. This world accuses us. Always, every place, accusations, accusations, challenges, things to take away the foundation that we live on. But Scripture says that God will never accuse you. When you come to know Jesus, God has nothing to accuse you of because through Jesus, he has taken care of everything that can be there. And we need to allow that to inform us today. You see, if God is not going to accuse us, why would you allow anybody else to? The God who knows everything about you says, because of Jesus, you are good. But yet we allow the world to accuse us, accuse us, and accuse us. Jesus has already paid the penalty for your sin. Think about that for a second. He's already paid it. I talk to people all the time. We have this good conversation. I say, when Jesus died on the cross, which of your sins did he die for? See, I wasn't alive when Jesus died. Now, when I had that gray beard as of last night, people said, man, you looked a lot older with that beard. But I'm not that old. Jesus died for all of your sins the ones that you had committed by the time that you came to know him as Savior, the ones that you committed on the day that you accepted him as Savior, and the sins that you will commit in the day's future. Now, we shouldn't make a habit of it. Our lives should be changed and different, but you are forgiven. There are no accusations that can be made for you. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin and mine at the cross of Calvary. We should be secure in that. The declaration of your righteousness before God never changes. You are always righteous before God because you are justified in Christ. The fourth thing that we should be encouraged about through Scripture is that Christ intercedes for us. Verse 34 said that Christ makes intercession for us. The same Savior who died for you is now interceding in heaven right now right beside God for you. He can give us the grace we need to overcome temptation. You know, we were talking, and it came up briefly in our Bible study Sunday school class this morning, that Jesus walked where we walked. He went through. He's our great high priest. He understands. And so when he intercedes for us, it's not just somebody stepping in between. It is the one who knows all, who's experienced all, interceding on our behalf. He can give us grace we need to overcome temptation. He can give us strength to resist the enemy, Satan. Now, I've recently read a book, and uh, I'm trying to get more people to read this book. And the book is called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. And it talks about how Jesus, Psalm 23, talks about how Jesus wants to prepare a table for you, you and him. One-on-one, I have this great relationship, but it said that he wants, he does that in the presence of your enemies. I hadn't thought about that before. And it says that every time we get busy in life and we really want to make God first, because see what I believe is, I believe that right this moment, you want Jesus to be the most important thing in all your life. I believe that's what you want. 
I believe that's what the Spirit of God does to convict and draw us as we worship Him and as we pray and fellowship and study Him. We all walk out. The challenge is, is that tomorrow comes and we begin to dwindle away. And it's interesting because what happens is, while we have been called to a table for two, us and Jesus, in the presence of our enemies, if we're not careful, we allow the enemy to pull up a chair and to sit at our table with Jesus. And then we start getting words of Jesus and words of the enemy. And then we start getting all discombobulated. And let me tell you what I am learning to say in my life. When fear, doubt, accusation, when it all rises up, I'm going, that's not what my shepherd would say to me. You see, my shepherd loves me. My shepherd intercedes for me. My shepherd has forgiven me. My shepherd comes after me. My shepherd's not going to accuse me. And as you walk into this new year, you need to be confident in the fact that Christ intercedes for you. He can forgive our sins and restore our fellowship with God. Intercession means that we do not need to represent ourselves before God. Jesus stands up for you. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says this, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, we just have to stop. For starters, Jesus is alive. Do you see what it says? It says that he always lives. Jesus lives. We do not serve a Savior of the past. We serve a living Savior. He lives, and because he lives, he is always standing at God's right hand, interceding on your behalf. Always. You are secure because Christ intercedes for you. Church, Christ is for us. Christ died for us. Christ has justified us. Christ intercedes for us. And lastly, verse 35 said that Christ loves us. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? While God will never fail us, we can certainly fail him. This last point reminds us that nothing shall separate us from the love of Jesus. Let me just make a list of things that we read that cannot separate you from the love of God, that will not separate you from the love of God. No tribulation, no distress, no persecution, no famine, nakedness, peril, sword, not death, nor life, not angels, nor demons, not things present, things to come, not height or depth, nor any created thing, not any broken relationship, not any COVID disease, not any cancer. None of that stuff could separate you from the love of God. Amen. These accusations of the world, that job you don't like, that boss you have trouble with, that family member that you're having troubles with, none of that can separate you from the love of God. None of it can separate you from the love of God. God says, I am here to make that better. Nothing separates you from the love of God. Nothing. And because nothing can separate you, that means everything that you deal with, everything that you see, everything that you face and experience, God says, I can love you through that. Wherever you are right now, God says, I can love you through that. I can love you through that. 
Not only can we not be separated from the love of Christ, but in all these things, verse 37, all these things we just talked about, not only can we not be separated from Christ, it says that in all these things, we are more than conquerors. You know, I'd like to be a conqueror. Scripture says I don't get to be a conqueror. You're going, Jeff, it says it. That, no, read it. Scripture says you get to be more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. You are a supernaturally driven, died for, made righteous before God, conqueror. Whatever you're facing, you can conquer. If you remember where you are and whose you are. Christ is for us. Christ died for us. Christ justifies us. Christ intercedes for us. And Christ loves us. Look at verse 38. I am persuaded. Let's talk about that word for just a moment. The word persuaded means I have accepted as truth. Persuaded can mean I no longer doubt. That's what persuaded means. And Paul says, I am persuaded. Which means that there was a time in Paul's life that he had doubt. That he did not know. That he did not believe it as truth. And Paul said, because I have seen all of these things, because Christ is for us, because Christ died for us, because he's justified for us, because he intercedes for us, and because he loves us, I am now persuaded. There is nothing that keeps me from believing that as absolute truth in my life. Church, that's where we miss it. We doubt. Because see, just think about this for a second in my own life and in yours. If I really, truly, 100% believed everything God has told me, would I not be living differently? Right? We'd be living differently. And the reason that this world is full of people who do not yet know the love of Jesus is because we, the church, aren't living fully for God. I can tell you about people in Utah that need us. I can talk about Good News Club that need us, Brazil, Moldova. Bedford County, your street, or maybe your home. And if we would but know whose we are and what that means, it would change the way we live. And Paul said, I am persuaded. You know, if you study Paul, you'd go, yeah, Paul was persuaded. Because Paul let nothing, nothing slow him down. Once he came to that point of being persuaded, it changed his life. Simple question, church. 
Are you persuaded by the love of God through Jesus Christ? Does that make a difference in your life? Are you persuaded? You see, as we enter into a new year, you are either persuaded or you're doubtful. There are no other camps, persuaded or doubtful. This is a critical point. Do you know that the decision that you're getting ready to make your entire new year, 2022, hinges upon whether you're persuaded or whether you doubt? Let me summarize. I am persuaded in Christ. I am free from any condemnation. I am persuaded in Christ I have kept the righteous requirements of the law. I am persuaded in Christ I am obligated to be led by the Spirit. I am persuaded in Christ I am a child of God and a co-heir with Christ. I am persuaded in Christ I will be redeemed from this cursed creation. I am persuaded in Christ I am certain of my eternal glorification. I am persuaded in Christ I fear nothing either in or out of this world. I am persuaded in Christ I am a new creation leading a new life. And 2022 is a new year. If you are persuaded, this year stands to be your best ever because of Jesus. Amen? God has a lot He wants to do through His persuaded people. I pray that you are. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray with one another. There's a whole lot that God's Word has just said to us, and, and I pray that you'll go back and study this Word more. There are certain things that will touch your life, challenge you, and draw you to where God wants you to be. But in the end, you must be persuaded. Because if you're not persuaded... It hasn't impacted your life. It hasn't changed you. And Jesus came to change us. Amen? Amen. I pray that you'll allow God to have His way in your life, not just in this moment. You see, right now, we're all on fire for Jesus right now. We're in church. We're not facing anything. But in just not long, we're going to say amen, and we're going to start going our own way. And can I tell you, that's when you will find out if you're persuaded or doubtful. This altar is an opportunity for you to commit to Him right now. Start a new year. You're going, Jeff, but it's the 9th of January already. New Year's way past. Not for me. I just got here. God's ready to begin anew with us in any moment. Amen? Amen. I pray today you'll be persuaded.